This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Art, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Eva Glesic, the host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Laura Fram about her new book, Design in Motion, Film Experiments at the Bauhaus, which was published earlier this year with the MIT Press. Now, Laura is Associate Professor of the, Humanities, uh, of the Humanities at the Department of Art, Film, and Visual Studies at Harvard University. Fram's book explores film and media through the lens of architecture, design, spatial theory, ecological thought, and process philosophy. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Eva, and thanks for inviting me to this conversation. Uh, we're really excited to have you on the show and to talk about your book, which provides um, really a unique history of film experiments at the Bauhaus, which was the famous art school that operated between 1919 and 1933 and was located in Weimar uh, before it moved to Dessau and later to, to Berlin. Um, now, we usually associate the Bauhaus with the development of modern design and architecture, but your study focuses on film, which you know is an often overlooked aspect of the school's work. Um, and you show how the cinematic medium became a proving ground for some of the most innovative Bauhaus work. Now, Laura, tell us a little bit about your background how and how you came uh, into this field of, of, of research and be- became interested in Bauhaus and its use of film. Yes, I'm very happy to do that. Um, so I am a film and media scholar by training, um, but as you already indicated um, in your very kind introduction is um, that I always uh, considered my work um, to reach into and to sprawl um, across the boundaries of of film and media studies. Um, I've been always interested in how film can leak into the fields of philosophy, of music, the visual arts, and in the case of my current book, uh, specifically into the fields of design and architecture. Um, And I think part of this 
thinking really emerges from um, my academic path um, over the past 18 years, where I've been um, in the context of, of very different, but all of them very interdisciplinary uh, research institutes and research programs. Um, just to give you one example, um, I wrote my dissertation in the context of a transatlantic graduate research program in metropolitan studies, um, which was uh, located in Berlin and New York. So it was a big collaboration of three Berlin and three New York universities. Um, and um, this program really brought together um, urban planners and urban historians, um, anthropologists, sociologists and architects. Um, and I was um, usually the only film scholar in the room, um, the only one who worked on film or could, could speak to film in these conversations, um, which I believe uh, an experience like this pushes you constantly to think about the boundaries of your field or requires you to think about your field and really comprehensive terms, um, adopting a kind of bird's eye view on your field. Um, and coming from um, these different interdisciplinary contexts, um, I've always been interested in the way in which, um, or what happens in this encounter between film and other fields, other modes of thought, other um, ways of, of inquiry, uh, what happens, for example, in the encounter between film and urban space, between film and architecture, between film and design, um, what emerges from this interplay, um, and what happens, most of all, when film comes into this mix. And um, I think this also leads to one of the larger questions um, that drive my work, which is how film and visual media um, do not only intersect with other fields, uh, such as design, architecture, or urban studies, but um, really more specifically, um, how do um, film and visual media infuse our notions um, of design, of architecture, um, of the built environment with um, new ideas of motion, of change, of transformation? And I think this is really a question that, that drives um, and lies at the heart of my current book, Design and Motion. Yeah, uh, it's very interesting when you talk about these different, the way that these disciplines um, meet and, and interact in, in various different ways in your work and research. Um, now, you open your, your book uh, with a bit of a discussion um, about uh, Bauhäusler, as you call them, is this collective term for, term for Bauhaus um, students and um, lecturers. And, um, they were, you, you know, that they were avid cinema lovers and cinema goers, um, even before they started experimenting uh, with, with film in, in the workshops. Um, what were some of the films that they watched at this point in time and, and where did they watch them? <laughs> Yeah, that's a fantastic question, um, which also brings me, um, I think, also to the second part of your earlier question. How did I start to work on film at the Bauhaus? And the interesting thing is that, um, as I mentioned, I've, I've worked a lot on uh, film and architecture and those intersections um, in 
in, um, in my dissertation years and earlier book publications. Um, and I never really worked on the Bauhaus until, uh, until I came to the US and until I um, was asked to give a little lecture on, um, on the Carpenter Center for the Visual Arts uh, which is where my department of art, film, and visual studies um, is is located, um, and to to offer some insights on um, the Bauhaus, so-called Bauhaus roots of of my department, and and in a way, um, it was an unexpected re-encounter with the Bauhaus, uh, which had like moved in and out of my work uh, peripherally, and also um, it was also in many ways um, a physical encounter in earlier years, since I was actually coming to Harvard from the Bauhaus University in Weimar, where I um, was a postdoctoral researcher at a media theory um, institute, the IKKM Weimar. So there were many ways in which the Bauhaus was um, part of, of, of the horizon of my work, but always more in the periphery. And then only after moving away from Weimar and after um, uh, after coming to the US, I, I really uh, started um, to return uh, to Bauhaus uh, research. And, and uh, when I started my book, I really thought I would work on um, a few Bauhaus masters and students um, who were working on film. There was very beginning research that I um, encountered during my years in Weimar. Uh, Thomas Tode, for example, um, a curator and a film historian, uh, started an early film series on Bauhaus and film and invited me uh, to give a short uh, introductory, like a film introduction on uh, Laszlo Mohoynar's um, film sketch, Dynamic of the Metropolis. Um, so I knew that there was this emerging um, work on Bauhaus and film, and I always thought um, I would perhaps be able to contribute a new perspective or find new materials uh, that would add to this history. Um, what I did not expect, and this is coming back to your question, was that I would find uh, in my like almost eight years of archival research that I would find um, film in so many different places um, at the Bauhaus and that I would find um, such a lively discussion of film that was uh, that went far beyond the four or five figures who had previously been associated with film work or who were, who were known uh, to be interested in film and working with film. Um, so what I found um, while going through letters um, and, and uh, diary entries of Bauhäusler um, was that there was a huge amount of films that they saw and film exhibitions they attended. Um, there were famous actors and actresses and directors whose um, films they followed. And I think there was such a richness and multi-layeredness uh, when it comes to the Bauhaus's uh, engagement with film that often surprised me and often took uh, rather also uh, we'll come to that I think uh, later on but very unexpected uh, modes of engagement with film and uh, you asked about the different um, 
sites of encounter with film. And I think there were two different sites that I can speak about a little bit. Um, on the one hand, and especially in the early years, um, Bauhäusler really frequented the local cinemas in Weimar and then subsequently in Dessau and in Berlin, um, as you mentioned before, the second and third sites of the Bauhaus. Um, when we look at the letters, for example, of uh, Bauhaus master and painter Lionel Feininger, um, uh, the letters that he wrote to his wife, Julia Feininger, um, we can really speak of, of a kind of cinemania um, that swept the Bauhaus in the early 20s, specifically between 22 and 25. Um, in these years, uh, Feininger writes about almost daily visits to the cinema, often with some of his fellow Bauhaus artists, especially Paul Klee and Vasily Kandinsky, who was also known in Bauhaus circles to be a film enthusiast, and he sometimes would um, entertain his house guests with reenactments of films that he saw. Um, and I think when reading through Feininger's letters, which were some of the first letters I looked to, and that gave me a sense of the depth of um, the engagement with film. Um, what was striking to me was that um, he does not only mention film or, or writes to his wife, um, this afternoon, another film with my colleagues. And, and he even talks about that he, um, at some point, uh, he wanted to focus more on his work and wrote that he had to um, abstain from uh, the frequent cinema visits <laughs> for a while to focus on his work. But uh, rather than just mentioning films, yeah, the, the letters are beautiful. Um, he also writes about it as a kind of transformative encounter um, and the language he uses has a kind of cinematic vitality to it. Um, one film that he he writes about very enthusiastically was an early American travel film called The Westbound Limited um, from 23, which was shown in a local Weimar cinema in 1924, uh, the head Lichtspiel Theater, and um, which included, according to Feininger, breathtaking travel sequences. Um, he describes it as the sensation of pure speed and cinematic movement. And and I always remember this one quote from the letter where he he writes, "This was." the most beautiful film that I ever saw, at least from my heart. And he describes it almost as a re-encounter with his American roots and and uh, that this film provided him like a reflection on his own identity and so forth. And another really um, um, fruitful resource to reconstruct um, these, these fascinations with film was really Isa Gropius's Bauhaus diary. So the wife of, of uh, the Bauhaus founder and first director, Walter Gropius, um, she would chronicle, frequently write and chronicle um, all events that happened at the Bauhaus, but also at times very private considerations um, uh, between her and Gropius. And, and there she, um, I was struck by the, by the frequency with which she would also like hint at film and, and uh, talk about, for example, um, 
a very enthusiastic uh, encounter with another travel film and she writes um, last evening at Hell's Lichtspiele um, we saw this film American um, the speed like this cathartic <laughs> speed and movement and so there was this fascination they um, they tried to attend the famous film Matinee, the absolute film in Berlin in 25. And, and she writes with regret that they didn't make it because a previous meeting went too long. So it's also an account of, of failures to see films that they were interested in. Um, she also writes about uh, pretty frequently that they were looking at Russian films. And I know this is one of your fields of expertise. Um, so what is really striking, especially in, in the late 20s, is how distinctly and deeply Bauhäuser are interested in uh, Soviet montage cinema, and especially in the films by Eisenstein. Isaac Ropius writes about that they watched and that they saw Strike, for example. Um, so the interest in, in Sergei Eisenstein and then also specifically um, Sigur Vertov is, is really a golden thread that runs through the film screenings. Um, they even invite, and this was um, a fantastic uh, thing to find, um, they even invite Sigur Vertov himself to, uh, to present his film and to give a film lecture um, at the Bauhaus uh, when, uh, with his new city, then at that point, new city symphony, man with a movie camera, um, at a moment where he's touring across Germany to introduce his film um, and visits other um, like important uh, film exhibitions, such as uh, the film and photography exhibition. Um, so this like closeness of, of, of the Bauhaus to the world of cinema is, is one thing. Um, in, in another really interesting, I think, twist um, is, and what I work on very specifically in my book is that we don't only have that like vital connection of Bauhäusler to the field of film, like where um, famous actors and actresses um, appear in their visual work in photo collages, uh, cutouts, images of Greta Garbo and, and Marlene Dietrich. There's a huge fascination as in other avant-garde circles with Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton and Harold Lloyd, who also appears like on one of the early advertising sketches of, um, of uh, Herbert Bayer. Um, but we also um, have film screenings within the walls of, of the Bauhaus. Um, shortly after Mohoy Nash, um, um, appears or arrives at the Bauhaus in April 1923, um, he begins preparing uh, for a film program for the first major exhibition of the Bauhaus, the Bauhaus Week in Weimar in August 1923. And the films he selects for this program are really striking and, and most of all unexpected. Um, he selects uh, an entire range of advertising films, uh, scientific films, nature documentaries, um, films about the transmission of a transatlantic cable from Germany to the US. And um, I was most of all really struck by this 
um, consistent um, screening of, of nature documentaries. And these were tied uh, to Moholy's interest in, in time-lapse and slow motion and micro-cinematography. So he would select films. Um, one film was called The Soul of Plants, which showed um, the growing of flowers and other plants uh, in, in time-lapse photography. Um, he would show um, a microscopic film of the blood circulation of frogs. Um, he would show um, a recurring interest, of course, at the Bauhaus is the crystal and, and the films um, that they projected in, in at least two occasions were microscopic films of liquid crystal. So there was a kind of fascination with with life on screen and the constant transformation of organic forms on screen. That was, um, yeah, a really striking feature uh, that I discovered. And um, maybe just one one other uh, or a third example uh, were really um, apart from going to the cinemas and apart from um, from creating these own like Bauhaus film programs, which were shown at the major Bauhaus events. So they were not um, hidden or occasional programs. They were very uh, publicly um, announced and advertised as part as part of the larger idea of the Bauhaus. Um, but there were also these very private and impromptu screenings. And in my book, I write about um, one of my favorite examples, which were Bauhaus dance evenings. And, and one Bauhaus student, uh, Heinz Löw, um, starts going around uh, to the different uh, local cinemas in Dessau to collect uh, leftover film strips. So film strips that were cut off from film reels um, due to length or censorship um, and he he built them he he um, composes them into very impromptu uh, montages we can imagine them probably as a kind of nonsense montage or so um, very playful um, and uh, and so they had Bauhaus dance evenings that stood under the motto forward backward so upon the call of of the audience um, he would project these impromptu film montages forwards or backwards. And then the rule was that Bauhausler would dance forwards or backwards as well uh, in, in synchrony with these film strips. And this is, of course, a very playful example, but I, I think it shows something of that inventiveness of, of, of working with film uh, even though there was probably not enough right material available to to do their own film works at least at some point right in in Bauhaus history and then this yeah this inventiveness to to work with whatever they could get into their hands at that time. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely fascinating how you show in your work um, just the, the variety of engagement with film, as you just noted, you know, from advertising films to scientific films to these experimental um, uh, approaches in montage. Um, and it really kind of 
um, highlights just the, the, the power of film as an agent of change um, at the Bauhaus, which you foreground. Um, I, I also I want to know that um, I, I, you introduced the concept of failure in your study as well, film and failure. <laughs> and I think readers will, will find that, I think, quite um, yeah, fascinating to, to bring back that history of you know, those films that didn't work out or were not shown. They also constitute part of this story, which really gives it a, a, a quite, quite a... Quite a uh, new layer uh, I think um, yeah what yeah. Uh, maybe yeah go ahead yeah. Mm-hmm. do you want me to jump in with one example of, yeah. of film and failure and perhaps I think I think this is such a great point and and um, it's also so important uh, to know I think that so much um, of this history of film experiments at the Bauhaus is also still in fragments, there's still uh, rediscoveries being made. So um, a lot of um, new material will hopefully even emerge in the years to come. And and so much, I think, of the history that I stri- uh, strive to tell is is really a history of of attempting to work with film, even though it it it's not always worked in the way they envision it. And one example that I um that I write about in my book is um is a kind of playful celebratory poem uh that Oscar uh, Schlemmer performs and writes with uh the input of his fellow Bauhaus masters um on the occasion of Walter Gropius's departure from the Bauhaus. So uh when he announces that he will step down as the first director of the Bauhaus in nineteen twenty eight um Schlemmer and other Bauhaus masters and students are gathering to to uh, write a kind of chronicle of these first uh, nine years of the Bauhaus's existence, and they perform it. Uh, it, it. It exists only as like a, a manuscript, a type, a written manuscript in the Bauhaus archive in Berlin, where I did most of my research uh, and and set with those uh, documents uh, for for a long time. Um, and so this uh, it's almost like a um, yeah the script for for a play uh, in which he notes um, how different people um, are supposed to appear um, uh, holding up some of their um, most uh, important works <laughs> he he envisions Lionel Feininger to appear with um, the woodcut that uh, was part of the Bauhaus manifesto he imagines uh, Laszlo Moynaj to appear with um, with one of his photograms and so forth and and in this uh, in this performance of or recounting of the first years of the Bauhaus uh, he frequently um, in his notes, writes film, 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 <laughs> with lots of ex- exclamation marks, and and especially uh, when he comes to retell the story of uh, the Bauhaus's move to Dessau and the uh, inauguration of the new buildings that Gropius built in Dessau in uh, in 1926. And and during that great opening in December uh, 26, uh, there was also um, another very, um, very widely publicized film program that showed, uh, among other Films. Again, we have like a slow motion study of an athlete, like in the 23 program, we have a study of liquid crystals, but we also have a projection of Gropius's own, uh, what he called his Bauhaus film. Um, 
which showed um, the new Bauhaus buildings uh, in Dessau at times really in construction and in the making. And, and in these moments, uh, the script, the manuscript by uh, Schlemmer shows he wanted to project these films as, as part of this retelling and recreate like a mini film screening within that uh, performative poem. And then uh, in a note again to, uh, to his wife, to Schlemmer, he, he writes, nothing worked out with these slides and it's just <laughs> just like the shortcoming of this amateur <laughs> that it did not work out so um and this is just yeah another um like another facet of, of uh, film and failure <laughs> absolutely and there are many other yeah, yeah no that that's yeah. it certainly mm. gives it a very different dimension and i think we often mm. leave failures out i think we have that practice a little bit uh, but it's yeah terrific to see what this history looks like once once this material kind of uh, is incorporated into this history of experimentation with film um well, i was wondering if we can go to the the um the beginning, I guess, of the Bauhaus work on preliminary course, uh, the four course. Um, this was the progressive pedagogical program that served to um, introduce students to key concepts and ideas that were developed by the school. Um, and uh, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the role of the film within this preliminary course and the notion of film as polymedium, which is kind of runs uh, as a kind of central theme throughout throughout your study. Yeah, um, thank you, Eva. That's that's an ex excellent question because I think it really moves us away from um, this encounter with film in different screenings and performances that are certainly a huge part of, of uh, the balance of striving to work with film. But it also, and this is something that became more and more important in my book, um, film also became really what I describe as as a medium of design or to work out design questions, questions of of form, of color, of, of uh, motion in and one of the sites, uh, and that's why I think it's, it's great that you connected with the preliminary course, is really in the different variations of uh, the preliminary course. Um, this course um, existed, this four course existed in, in um, three different iterations over um, the 14 years of the Bauhaus' existence. Um, first, it was taught uh, by Johannes Itten um, and really shaped through his ideas of, of material practice. Um, and after his departure from the Bauhaus in 1923, um, Laszlo Mohoynash and Josef Albers uh, jointly took over the teaching of the preliminary course um, with Albers. Albers' variation was dedicated to first semester students and Moholy's version um, dedicated to second semester students. So this was a preliminary course um, that every Bauhaus student um, had to go through for one year. And then um, these the experiences and the work that they produced in the preliminary course became um, a kind of um, sign for the path that they would take uh, through uh, the Bauhaus workshops um, later on. And um, so what I was interested in is really looking through um, the amazing doc visual documentation of student work that was produced um, in this course. And so much of my book, which I 
would really describe as a kind of archival book or a visual book because that was really the seed of almost all of the chapters. Um, so I was really looking through um, photographs and photographs of of um, of student works, uh, which the Bauhaus right um, was very um, careful in documenting and and capturing uh, uh, through the medium of of photography. And um, what I found in in these three different iterations of the course was really uh, or really like the seeds of a very expansive notion of film which brought me to the idea of describing film not as one medium <laughs> with a clear boundary but as a really sprawling expansive and experimental um, poly medium and I'll talk a little bit more about that um, in a few minutes but um, yeah just to give you like a sense of, of the different variations of this course um, in, in Itten's preliminary course um, and he was um, this is very well known but he was um, um, very deeply immersed in in Mastasnan philosophy and and um, um, Eastern thought um, so in his preliminary course there was a lot of emphasis on the study of uh, form and color uh, through movement and rhythm and uh, famous are um, I think most of all his breathing exercises that he incorporated into his teaching, um, which he understood as a kind of becoming aware and loosening of the body um, as a prerequisite or an attuning to um, a creative practice. And what we find in these works is that the idea of movement and rhythm uh, really filters into the student works uh, produced in his course. And and in um, my chapter, I specifically look at different rhythm exercises. Um, they were called free rhythm studies. And um, they are described as drawings that really emerge from a moving body in space, which is a beautiful thing to think about. Uh, and in many cases, these free rhythm uh, studies look like meandering film strips that, that float across the page. And one of the um, these film strip-like drawings um, um, that um, I show in the book uh, was in fact made by Werner Greif um, only one year before he began to sketch his first uh, film composition in 1922, which is often seen as the beginning of, of film work at the Bauhaus. Um, then um, in in the context of uh, Mohoynar's preliminary course, um, we really find like a shift towards or an embrace of um, of new materials as as part of these um, material um, explorations and investigations that that are at the heart of the preliminary course. Um, Moholy at that time was was very interested in uh, in the potential and creative use of of plastics of different kinds of plastics and this is something that we also find in his artistic practice at the time um, he begins to uh, paint on celluloid for example shortly after 
he joins the Bauhaus in 23. And this is something, um, the fascination with celluloid and cellophane is something that I trace um, as emerging in student work um, around the mid-20s and specifically in the balance studies and the tension studies, so studies of, of materials in their uh, different uh, modes of interplay, um, which were not only, as in earlier years, incorporating wood and paper and glass and metal and wire anymore, but also uh, sheets of celluloid and cellophane, um, often in a very like subtle study of, of different degrees of transparency or the modes in which they would reflect light. Um, and sometimes they, they go along with notes on how how differently light is reflected by glass and celluloid. And so they're really uh, beautiful studies. And, and in the case um, of Josef Albers, and this was a surprising find, um, the work with um, film as as a concept or an idea, um, a kind of philosophy of motion, the idea of film as a material object, like in the shape of sheets of celluloid, um, and also film as a kind of aesthetic program. So the three facets that I describe as three facets of the polymedium or film as a polymedium throughout the book are really at play in Albers's course. Um, I expected to find that whole spectrum in Moholy's uh, version of the preliminary course, but it's really Albers who, who pronounces it as, as um, like a, a kind of um, research <laughs> or mode of visual research into the complexities of working with film. And um, there are some beautiful student works with um, film strips, uh, sculptures of film strips, unexposed film strips in which um, uh, in which different matches are are uh, piercing through the sprockets of the film strip to make to render like the elastic or bendable material of the film strip into uh, a structure that can stand and and take on new shapes and and we have um, examples in Albers's student uh, in the student work in Albers's course that really plays with. Um, questions of, of rhythm and intermittency. So really, um, there there is a large body of works that um, tries to adopt or move towards the aesthetics of film strips, which is something that I also discussed uh, in my weaving chapter. And, and thinking about how students um, all of the students went through one iteration or two of this uh, preliminary course gives you a sense of of how distinctly um, film or the material of celluloid was introduced there and then really shaped the way, um, the even more expansive ways in which film then came to play in the different Bauhaus workshops. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Saks.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. 
Yeah, uh, when when I we started this um, conversation, I noted that uh, we often know Bauhaus for its focus on architecture, kind of the new architecture that was developed uh, through the history of, of this school. Um, but I'm interested in how did these experiments in film that you've just described, and it's really they're quite quite diverse uh, over the course of this period. How, how did they inform the school's architectural imagination and um, influence? kind of Bauhaus understanding of architecture as a synthesis of arts, as, as you put it? Yeah, that's, that's a beautiful question. Um, and it's so vital to, to understanding um, the place of film and the ways in which that place also changed over time uh, during the Bauhaus years. Um, architecture has long been described as a kind of... Um, the longest and most consistent um, aspiration of Bauhäusler um, architecture under, understood as the synthesis of the arts was like already written into um, uh, into the Bauhaus manifesto by by Gropius um, and um, even though um, an actual architecture workshop um, only really emerged around 27 when Hannes Meyer joined the Bauhaus and and um, subsequently um, became the second uh, director after Gropius's departure. And I think in my book, uh, there are many ways to think about the interrelations between film and architecture. Um, in my book, I, I describe film almost in similar terms as something that was on the horizon, even though it was certainly less pronounced than the striving towards architecture, but there was a striving um, towards film and to integrate film into the official curriculum um, of the Bauhaus. Um, and an interesting um, find in, in the process of my research was that it was not only uh, Laszlo Mohoynash who very openly and published uh, in articles in, in film magazines to call for uh, the installment of an experimental film laboratory at the Bauhaus. But even earlier, already in, in 1922, Oscar Schlemmer um, um, was was pronouncing the idea of installing a Bauhaus cinema, which he conceived of as, as a site uh, to show um, pedagogical films. He writes about good pedagogical films from the realm of science and 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 um, and so forth, um, but also for experimental purposes. So there is like um, an early desire uh, to formalize film work. Uh, and I think especially to use film, and just, just coming back to your question, to use film in a way as an experimental device, as a form of visual research that would also allow to work through and to think through constellations of form and the development, the involvement of form that they understood as a distinctly architectural question. Um, when we look at the early um, works, uh, film sketches that emerge from the Bauhaus, um, which have been uh, famously described as, as reflective plays of colored light, they are so architectural, right? They show architectural shapes and forms in constellation and in motion. And, and one idea I think that was really present at the Bauhaus was that these um, 
film sketches. This work with film could be a kind of of training ground for architecture or could move the Bauhaus from a different viewpoint into into architectural work. Um, and more specifically, you, you asked about um, the role of film within the Bauhaus's architectural um, imagination. And, um, and I think the area in which film was um, most vigorously um, explored as, as a medium that could bring the Bauhaus one step closer um, to their long dream of a synthesis of the arts uh, was really the stage workshop and stage work at the Bauhaus. Um, I already mentioned Oskar Schlemmer as an early film advocate and, and uh, somebody who was distinctly interested in film even before uh, Moholy uh, came to the Bauhaus. Um, and he also organized uh, one of the most um, um, interesting film screenings at the Bauhaus shortly after the inauguration in Dessau in December 26, and after the film program that showed Gropius's own architectural Bauhaus film. Um, so what he projected again um, in March 27 was um, another time-lapse film of plant growth called The Flower Miracle, which was a quite fam famous like culture film in Germany at that time. And um, he projected it in combination with uh, what he called a lecture demonstration that would introduce into uh, the forms and possibilities of stage work. So it's so interesting, or it was interesting for me to see how film was at the heart of what he described as the new potential of, of stage work um, at the Bauhaus, um, especially as, as they moved to Dessau, had their new building, and of course, a very famous uh, new Bauhaus stage. And, and then um, in another facet of the connection between film and architecture and stage work, um, what I put uh, quite an emphasis on in my in my chapter on on uh, theater designs, is that uh, very early on, as as different Bauhäusler were imagining new kinds of theater spaces, they imagined them with film projection, and often so some of these uh, um, designs that were circulating were um, a light theater or a spherical theater, and then later with Gropius designs for a total theater, and film was a vital element in that idea that there could be a Bauhaus stage or a Bauhaus theater that would be um, dedicated to a pure, um, immersive, multi-sensory and multimedia experience. So a lot of these designs had different moving stage elements um, and then again and again, uh, moving film strips that would uh, cross uh, and move across the ceiling of these theater domes and intersect with each other. Um, one of the most striking um, examples is really uh, Walter Gropius's unrealized um, sketch and design for um, a total theater, which he designed for um, theater legend um, Evan Piscator. And, um, it's kind of a culmination of earlier um, 
envisionings of, of sensory stages and theater designs in that he envisioned not only to really inundate the audience with with projections of, of waves <laughs> coming towards them or masses running uh, towards them. But he also, um, and he envisioned 12 different film columns that would project like a kind of crossfire of films. But he also envisioned a kind of film tower in the middle of that theater space that would project outwards. So we can really think about this as like a total immersive uh, space and and um, yeah, due to conflicts and complications, uh, this theater was never built, but it's probably the closest that one of these, what I call poly theaters uh, ever came uh, to, to um, its realization. Yeah, I, I think one of the um, most really fascinating aspects of, of this, this um, insight into, into the impact of film on architecture is, is this, uh, the shift that you make in our understanding of Bauhaus architecture um, as a machine for living, which you know that is it's that's often been the kind of standard notion and thinking about Bauhaus, which is perhaps a little bit too simple in the sense that you bring in all this kind of synthetic thought and multisensory aspects of of thinking, right? And and, and that were that were incorporated into into Bauhaus architectural thinking. Um, so it really it really shows how the yeah, film expanded that that uh, approach to to architecture in, in really quite surprising ways in many, in many instances. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us, um, well, you already noted or hinted on the role of women in, in Bauhaus um, and your work certainly foregrounds uh, a significant number of women who contributed to development of Bauhaus theory um, and practice. And um, it's often the case that these were partners of or wives of or uh, Bauhaus masters. Um, you mentioned Issa Gropius, um, Walter Gropius's wife, who I, I think is referred to in your in your book, or you found this um, uh, uh, the fact that, that she was often referred to as, as Frau Bauhaus, yeah. <laughs> which is quite quite interesting. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but they were not only partners; there were plenty of students and and um, lecturers, um, uh, female lecturers. So. Um, I'm, I'm, I want to talk a little bit more about that. I, I found that uh, quite quite extraordinary uh, sources that you come across there. Um, but one of the central focuses of your of your study is the weaving workshop and the intersection mm-hmm. between uh, weaving and film. So um, can you uh, talk a little bit more ab- about that uh, intersection between film and weaving? Yes, uh, thank you, Eva. Um, I I think. Um, thinking through and beginning to work um, on Bauhaus women in this context of of diving deeper and deeper into um, the Bauhaus ties to film was really one of the most transformative uh, moments in my research. Um, It was probably also one of the most unexpected finds in the archive uh, that brought me to think through those relations. Um, I, um, I addressed women's work in two different chapters. And I really see those chapters as encapsulating um, like the, the main contributions of, of uh, women to film work at the Bauhaus. One is really in the realm of photography and visual work. And the other one, the even more surprising one is within the weaving workshop. Um, so the way in which I came to think very expansively about film in that context was that I was looking very expansively um, 
through uh, the works of Bauhaus artists. I, uh, from the beginning, I wanted this thinking about film uh, to be expansive and and to look into sources that nobody would really connect uh, with film work or even the thinking about film. And so I got interested in in looking at um, uh, Weaver's notebooks at the Bauhaus. Um, and, and these were beautiful, often hand annotated um, archival objects um, and really chronicles of Bauhaus teaching, um, which contained uh, drawings of, of weaving techniques, um, small weaving samples often attached to the pages, and then also bundles of, of sample yarns and all kinds of weaving materials. And, and um, in one of these uh, notebooks, I found um, a particularly striking uh, bundle of yarn, which was described in the notes as effect yarn, effect gun, <laughs> and uh, which had like a beautiful luminescent quality uh, when when exposed or held into into a light source, and and this idea um, or this find really made me think about uh, about um, textiles and luminosity, and I started talking uh, with uh, the the archivist. Um, at the Bauhaus Archiv in Berlin, uh, and one of them, um, they were all fantastic and and so generous in in my research. Um, Nina Schöne, um pointed me uh, towards um, a whole body of weavings uh, that were working in which weavers were working with cellophane, and I suddenly realized the striking connection between what I described earlier um, as as a kind of training ground. Of, of working with celluloid and cellophane in the preliminary course um, and these striking weavings. Um, so what I found out, and this is again by going through um, accounts and, and short fragments of descriptions of Bauhaus work. Um, so one Bauhaus uh, student, um, Franz Ehrlich, writes about conversations uh, that he had with Heinz Löw, um, again, the Bauhaus student who would create those uh, impromptu film montages from leftover film strips, and Sete Reichert, um, one of the members of the weaving workshop. And they were just playfully thinking about like, what could be a weaving material? And then uh, they were they were speculating about weaving with different uh, like, uh, strips of bamboo, and then also uh, about cellophane, and and so um, uh, Margarete um, Droste writes about that, and in very brief notes that it was uh, really Greta Reichardt uh, who introduced uh, cellophane into the work of the weaving workshop, and so what they did was to take um, sheets of um, of, of uh, cellophane um, and cut them into thin strips with which they would weave. So cellophane really became a material woven into these fabrics. And this happened, um, interestingly, at a moment of um, a larger reorientation of the weaving workshop. Uh, Gunther Stölzel became the first woman to become a Bauhaus master and to lead the weaving workshop. And they were really trying to orient their work um, on the one hand towards a kind of um, feeding into the larger architectural 
aspirations of the Bauhaus, um, but also a distinct um, thinking about how can we create new uh, fabrics for the industry. And so when they started exploring the potential of weaving with cellophane, um, they discovered that there was a new, um, like a whole new body of uh, a whole new generation of fabrics um, that would be, um, and this is one of my favorite examples, um, but that would be um, washable, right? They would be um, durable, crease resistant, they would be water repellent, um, and, and not least, and this is um, I think perfect for, for a film and media scholar, they would be sound absorbing and light reflecting, right? And when I encountered these descriptions, I thought, this is the moment where textiles really become media, right? Where they become kinds of textile screens that absorb and project. And, and then I was started, uh, I started looking. I asked Mina Schoening about like, how many works are there? And she she gave me an entire list of of these cellophane fabrics that I was allowed to look at. Um, and I really and and the most beautiful thing was to see them really in motion. I think they were also thought of as being in motion. And I always thought um, a still image. I have some uh, some images in my book, but a still image does not even capture the vitality of of their light reflectiveness and how they how they morph and and seem to be yeah very very movable shapes and and there was such a substantial body of works. Uh, Gunther Stelzer makes cellophane weavings. Annie Albers makes cellophane weavings and and um, Annie Albers's um, Diploma work, in fact, is a wall covering that is made with cellophane um, and uh, that she describes as sound absorbing and light reflecting. And it gathers so much interest in Germany at that time that even like the film, uh, the, the, um, the firm size, like which was a producer of, of optical lenses and projectors, uh, they did like tests of and try to measure the the light degree of light reflectivity of of this fabric and then this this uh, like proof right of of this luminescent uh, fabric was printed in in uh, in publications and magazines at that time and so this was just one really striking example and and that led me to think about how um, inventive these Bauhaus women were and also how much um, we can think about their work as a kind of, I describe it as a kind of hybrid media practice because that's something that we don't only find in weaving, but I found celluloid costumes. I found uh, Marianne Brandt makes beautiful celluloid costumes and celluloid earrings, uh, celluloid collages. So there's a whole, um, a whole series of, of celluloid and cellophane um, objects that that emerge and that really play with the idea of light uh, reflecting light and 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 um, yeah a kind of becoming media of of these objects. Yeah, absolutely, and I think it gives a, a absolutely fascinating insight into how Bauhaus used film as a as a material and in, in and uh, in addition to this 
really rich body of work um, in the weaving workshop, um, you also note that women uh, work behind the camera as well. Um, can you tell us about the work of women artists in the domain of film and photography that comes out of this period? Yes, um, I'd love to because this is such an important <laughs> chapter um, um, of, of really the presence or how uh, women start to define um, their place in the Bauhaus, right? There, there are a lot of histories written about uh, women in the weaving workshop um, into which they were often channeled against their will or first choices, right? There are famous accounts of um, Annie Albers and Gertrude Arndt who were not uh, um, picturing themselves as, as weavers, but then found their way and found like a mode of working within this workshop. Um, but another um, another area that I really found striking um, for the articulation of what it means to be a woman artist um, in the 20s and at the Bauhaus was really in visual work. And, and there were, uh, there was a substantial um, number of women in the photography workshop, uh, which arrived um, at the Bauhaus rather late in 1929, so 10 years after um, after the the beginning of the Bauhaus. Um, and um, some Bauhausler always thought that in the mold of the photography workshop, a film workshop could emerge. So Just Schmidt, for example, uh, writes proposals for a film workshop that would be modeled on the photography workshop, which is so um, important and and um, so um, yeah, draw so many uh, students into into its realm. Um, and um, what I found in my uh, research on, on film work by Bauhaus women was that um, it's striking to see how this film work equally moved into the realm of the personal and the political. And maybe to give you just one example, um, which I write about um, in this chapter um, and a really beautiful fragment of Bauhaus life is uh, Ivana Tomlinovich's film, um, which is often um, described as just untitled, <laughs> um, or um, in other archival resources, it shows up as Life at the Bauhaus. And this was a film fragment that was only recently rediscovered. And it's such an important rediscovery because it shows us there was not only film work, like active film work at the Bauhaus beyond Gropius's own film project, his Bauhaus film, but it was also film work in the hands of, of Bauhaus women. Um, and this, um, and when I talk about these works hovering between the personal and the political, um, this short fragment, um, it's only a one minute fragment, so often, um, Right, working or writing about film at the Bauhaus is really a history of writing or projecting into fragments uh, and trying to tease out what, what the larger uh, film could have been like. So there's a lot of speculative history embedded in, in working in that mode. But what we see in this short fragment is um, a kind of 
um, cinematic diary. It's like fleeting views of fellow Bauhäusler um, who are appearing um, um, in the Bauhaus, like outside of the Bauhaus cafeteria. We see very fleeting moving shots of of uh, the famous facade of the Prella House, so the student studio building um, with its famous iconic balconies. Um, and um, it's like these little snapshots of Bauhaus life, which are so playful. We have um, we have Bauhausler gesturing uh, into the camera or showing um, a new car or or um, being captured like in the in park or um, at the river. Um, and so the way in which this fragment has been described since its very, very recent uh, rediscovery in, uh, in Zagreb um, is uh, that it was potentially like a leftover, even cut out of a longer film. Um, and then I was really sitting down with this fragment that remains. And I was struck by the way that um, there was a very careful framing um, of these few seconds of film of this minute. Um, and I think it allows us to think through, maybe it was not right uh, a fragment after all. Maybe it was just like a mini, a mini Bauhaus diary, a kind of, uh, a kind of, um, yeah, a kind of snapshot of, of Bauhaus life. And when I talk about framing, um, so it opens with, um, with, again, a backwards projection of footage from a silent film. So we see the film moving backwards and upside down. And at the end of the film, uh, the film is turned, is projected forwards and turned um, the right way up. So there's a kind of framing device that's really playful and potentially connects to these forward-backward um, uh, dance evenings that I that I mentioned earlier. Um, we also see how uh, Tomjanovich um, uses negative footage. So there's another fragment that emerges just for seconds before we move into um, her very like moving, shifting views of the Bauhaus facade. Um, and these fragments, this negative image um, shows a kind of um, yeah, and kind of overcome or more traditional architecture that would be the way I read these pictures is that it gestured towards um, an earlier form and architecture of the arts academies as, as they existed in different um, German and European cities. And then um, Tom Janowicz apparently like um, uses a paint to brush over um, this architecture. Um, we see broad brush strokes on the film strip um, as if she was like crossing out, right? Visibly crossing out an earlier form of architecture. And then exactly, and then we move into a very moving shot uh, down the facade of the Bauhaus building. So there's something about yeah, a kind of institutional critique embedded in it. And just, I think it, it speaks to, to the fact that it was probably not a fragment, not a leftover, but something very carefully framed and thought through, even though it was like, right, a minute film. <laughs> and, and, and I think it allows us to really think about like, um, how to, how to think about fragments at the Bauhaus. And maybe they tell us much more than just being uh, left over. 
Leftovers, yes. Um, I think readers will find um, a, a wealth of, of material on, on women in Bauhaus and just extraordinary ways in which um, they, they engaged with, with this new medium and um, uh, really, really innovative um, uh, output that came came through that process. Um, and yeah, again, I have to say I was uh, absolutely surprised by the number of, of women who participated in in these experiments, um, often often including including uh, just the work that you mentioned by uh, Ivana Tomljenovic, which I've never come across uh, before. So I think there will be yeah, readers will definitely find uh, really a treasure trove here. <laughs> um, um, another really uh, surprising aspect. Um, that you bring into conversation here is the relationship between the film and design or conceptualization of Bauhaus exhibitions. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about this link between film and exhibition design? Yes, um, this was really one of the starting points Mm. um, um, after having concluded my um, archival research, uh, which could have gone on, I think, for many more years. <laughs> it definitely <laughs> sounds had... like, yeah, there was yeah. A, uh, quite a lot of yeah, fantastic <laughs> material there. Yeah, and it had a kind of built-in ending uh, because the Bauhaus Archiv in Berlin was closing mm. um, in December, on December 31st, <laughs> uh, in, in uh, 2016. Uh, to to move into a renovation phase um, of of the archive and uh, a new um, a new museum building um, uh, just a few be- a few years before the big centennial. So I was part of of a very small group of uh, three or four researchers who who were lucky to to be the last ones and <laughs> to spend uh, the last month before, um, several months before the closing of the Bauhaus archive there. And so we were all, um, it was a very collaborative uh, spirit. We were, we, at that time, we knew each other's uh, focus and research ideas. And so sometimes they would point me to especially uh, striking or cinematic <laughs> objects or photographs. So so there was a lot of, uh, yeah, really generous uh, exchange and camaraderie. Um, and one of the um, really last things that I moved into very deeply the entire last month of my research in December um, 16 was dedicated uh, to visual documentation. So this was the whole month I had worked through letters, right? I keep referring letters and diaries. And so I had worked through all this like paper work and paper material. But then I thought, this is the moment I have to switch into really visual documentation. There's a huge photography collection and one substantial portion of it is really documentation of Bauhaus exhibition work. And I sat with those images and I took photographs of them. And in the months that that followed, um, I, I was really sitting down with this body of, of exhibition documentation and um, that became the seed of my exhibition chapter, which was the first chapter that I wrote. And I think it also in a way framed the way in which I worked in the entire book, which was really starting from the object, starting from a visual documentation of what was there. And I was so interested in these exhibition 
projects um, which are written about a little bit, but not in relation to film. And so sitting with these images, I, I began to see more and more references of film uh, coming up in, in, those, um, in those photographs. Um, I discovered, and it was really like a very uh, joyful reconstruction work. I would like draw plans to, to uh, in a way, um, try to project myself in that exhibition space and how it would have been to walk through those. And what I found was not only very distinct references to film uh, and to specific elements uh, that I'll talk about in a minute, but also um, thinking through the way in which bodies would move through these exhibition spaces. I. I began to see that there was a kind of a cinematic logic at play in, in the choreography of, of the path, the parkour through this exhibition. And that really became, um, I think, the main argument of that chapter. That on the one hand, yes, what we find, again, um, um, are projection rooms. And sometimes they were called cinema boxes <laughs> that showed, uh, that projected films. And again, we have a culture film, so these culture films, educational films that instruct about water and gas technologies and 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 show us a history of water and and things like that um we also have um a very unique um presence of film scripts as a kind of um way to incorporate um to advertise these exhibitions on the one hand i write about the hygiene exhibition, the Bauhaus booth at the hygiene exhibition, uh, where the main image is really um, a film strip. Um, and and the film strip shows like on the margins the word aqua. So and there's a lot of like fascination with aqua film strips that we find in these exhibitions. So we have um we have cinema, film projection, we have projection booth. Um, in another exhibition, the building exhibition in Berlin, I found a very interesting, like almost hand-operated viewing device in which uh, visitors would turn a handle and then different images of, of um, building processes would emerge and new machines would emerge uh, like behind a mini screen. Um, so we have all of those elements we have um, often a kind of meandering, almost film strip-like exhibition wall that guides through this exhibition. Um, so on the one hand, a lot of cinematic elements um, that are that are part of these exhibition designs, but also um, really what I described earlier as a kind of cinematic logic. So in the arrangement of these different elements, um, they were really thinking about processes of like framing and projecting. Sometimes we would see like word projections on screens that would move uh, with the movement of the visitors. Um, we have uh, one of the most striking elements uh, in the um, building exhibition was that they apparently had um, light up um, arrows on the exhibition floor that would that would emit sounds and lights when you walked like in the correct order and there's such a exactly there's such um, a choreography that is really when you reconstruct these uh, exhibition spaces are really a kind of 
motion-based uh, spatial choreography that I describe as really um, working like uh, almost akin to to a cinema experience where different images and lights and motions would appear um, across uh, that exhibition space. So um, I think in the way in which I describe it in this chapter is really that exhibition design, uh, which was often a collaborative um, effort of, of Bauhaus members, but also former Bauhauser. So after Gropius, Moholy and others depart from the Bauhaus, they're still um, part of, of a larger group who creates these exhibition designs. And I describe exhibition design as a kind of laboratory for film work at the Bauhaus, um, the kind of laboratory that, that Moholy envisioned and Schlemmer envisioned and, and Schmidt envisioned. And, and there's um, a lot uh, that was, I think, realized in, in those exhibition contexts. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I, and I think they also come through as another example of this uh, kind of synthetic approach, uh, the synthesis of arts that is really at the, the heart of, of exactly. Bauhaus thinking. Yeah, yeah completely. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I have a. I wanted to ask you a, a, a question that is really focused on your sources, um, and it's as, as I think our listeners uh, by this point have a good sense of just how rich your uh, source base for your book is, and just the diversity of this of this material that that comes through. Um, um, I, I had I came across many surprises reading yeah. your book, but I, I was wondering if you can give us an example of um, something that really came through as a big big surprise um, mm-hmm. for you as as you move through your research, whether that's kind of in terms of sources or some of the conclusions that, that you come across. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to give you one um, yeah. one <laughs> example um, because I was really um, struck by like how expansive right that that thinking about film was how how many different sources I I ended up finding um, and and really how film spilled into not only like almost all of the workshops that's why I ended up dedicating the chapters to different workshops but also extracurricular work and and dance evenings and public events and and all of this but but um, so there were a lot of surprises uh, for me as well um, the cellophane weavings may be my uh, some of my favorite objects, but one one really striking uh, find um, that also um, is I think indicates a lot about why uh, film at the Bauhaus was overlooked for such a long time and why it hasn't been um, addressed as much as I think uh, right it deserves to be in Bauhaus research is really. Um, that um, that it was often really omitted from uh, from Bauhaus sources, right? We have this really um, vital and and substantial um, volume that Hans Maria Wingler writes, the Bauhaus, um, uh, uh, which is a collection of 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 resources um, of of original documents that were then. Um, translated into other languages. It was published uh, with MIT Press in the US. And I think it's really a source that a lot of researchers go to because of such a rich uh, collection. And and for example, when I was looking at uh, at film screenings, 
at the Bauhaus, and I was interested in in um, one of the most famous uh, costume parties, the metallic uh, party uh, in in uh, February 29, and I was trying to find out um, if and how film played a role in this festivity because there was such an ongoing um, trajectory of projecting films right in public Bauhaus events and and as we just talked about exhibitions and so the fragment uh, from from contemporary reviews that are printed um, in in Wingler's book uh, do not mention film right but then I tried to go to the sources and and suddenly right I could find uh, I could find more details on it and there's an account of of um, of a screening, um, um, a contemporary reviewer who writes about like the playful swirl of images that populated uh, the Bauhaus auditorium. And that led me into researching like what could this swirl of images have looked like. And then I found um, in the work of um, Jean-Paul Gergen, who has done amazing archival research uh, on, on um, Bauhaus and contemporary artists, um, he writes about Albrecht, uh, Victor Blum's montage films and the fascination that Moholy had um, with, um, with the work, with the montage work of Blum. And uh, then I encountered or made the connection to, um, to a film um, that Blum made uh, just before um, this metallic party happened and it was a film uh, with a very long titled <laughs> title um animals uh, I, I have to <laughs> see if i can get it together but it's like about um urban animals and <laughs> and and as uh, so a sequence of of terms um and then the subtitle is um is dedicated to the bauhaus in dessau so there was a film that was made for specifically for and dedicated to the Bauhaus. And there are reasons to believe that this was the swirl of cinematic images, the swirl of film images that was uh, projected um, in the Bauhaus auditorium that night. Um, and, and another, uh, which just tells us like how much was really um, considered as not vital information perhaps and thus right fell fell through like the cracks of Bauhaus documentation and how it has been mediated in, in years afterwards. And a very related example is um, again that brings us back to the beginning, um uh Isegropius's Bauhaus diary. I was so interested in trying to find out if there was any mentioning of film in the diary. So I sat down, this is a, a document that has never been published. It's only accessible in like handwritten form in the in the Bauhaus archive. And so um, a very kind woman researcher saw me pouring over those pages and she said, oh, you're working on film. I, I, um, I read through the diary three times you will not find any film in there. Um, it's, it's something that's not in there. And I still, I, I still kept on going, right? And I, and I still, uh, I wanted like to persist and to, uh, to really think, to really find out myself uh, um, if there was something in it. And also because um, I think my 
my by that time uh, my definition of film was so expansive right it it related to a larger philosophy of motion or moving forms it related to very material experiments with celluloid it related to a larger idea of a cinematic aesthetic so it was such an expansive notion that I felt maybe I can find something even though I trusted <laughs> this uh, researcher to she, she I think wanted to to help me and save time <laughs> but but um, one of the most striking things that I discovered in reading um, this document was that apparently Isa Gopius herself had a film project and and she only writes about that in a little fragment um, of a discussion that she and Gopius had with the director of the Akfa film factory, so the manufacturer of film strips. And, and she writes about that she was discussing um, her own film plans with him and that this director, Dr. Kurschmann, kindly offered her um, his camera or a camera from the factory for, for her experimental purposes. And, and I think this was such a striking thing. And, and so far, I want to say so far, because I don't know what will emerge in the future. And there are no further notes about it. Um, I don't know of any film material that that remains from that, um, that fragment, but it would have, it would just rewrite that history of Bauhaus um, in such a way. It was um, almost a year before we have the projection of Gropius's Bauhaus film, right? So maybe it allows us in a beautiful way to speculate that Isa Gropius maybe initiated, right, this film project or had her own ideas. And maybe uh, Jean-Paul Gergen also writes about how distinctly evolved, involved she was in the making of that film. And it just like allows us to recalibrate um, our common notions of of um, this bigger project of the Bauhaus film, but then also uh, really the striving of Bauhaus women to to engage into that um, field of, of exploration. And these tiny little notes tell us so much about, yeah, how much is also lost, right, in this history. And and of course, um, it's a big um, a big question for a film and media scholar, right? That that an incredible percentage of, of films that were produced before 29 were lost, right? I often tell my students that it's like, yeah, the, the numbers vary, but it's between 70 and 80% or so, which are of films which are likely lost. So that allows us to think through like what film material might reappear or which film material might have been lost, but these fragments allow us to to uh, reconstruct what 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 might have been. So. Yeah, I, I, Laura, I have to say that your perseverance with fragments and approach to fragments and care uh, for these uh, tiny clues along the way really produce some incredible insights, and I think um, readers will will find yeah quite, quite a quite a different history of Bauhaus that that you put together in in this manner. Um, Laura, thank you so much for walking us through your study through your research experience and through this really incredible um, and rich history of, of Bauhaus. Um, what are you working on at the moment? Yes, well, thank you so much, Eva, for, for this 
wonderful conversation. And um, I think what I knew from the very beginning, um, and I have like still such a huge archive of, of, of photographs and resources um, that I still want to work through. So from the beginning, I knew that um, the material would sprawl beyond one book um, alone. And so I decided to really focus uh, design in motion on uh, the active years of the Bauhaus to really write about uh, 1919 to 33 with like a little bit of an outlook into post-Bauhaus work. But there was this huge material um, really of films and media experiments of, of uh, sometimes a very adventurous nature that I found that were um, produced in, in the years after the Bauhaus was forced to close. So I always knew that I wanted to continue and, and write um, or continue this history and to think through these, uh, these experiments. And um, uh, so the current book that I'm working on um, is also, you described it so beautiful as a, like an alternative history of the Bauhaus. And I think my current book uh, attempts to do uh, this, um, as well, but from a different angle. And I developed this book or the seed of the book um, during a fellowship year um, at the Getty Research Institute in 19, 19 and 20, where I was part of a fellow cohort um, dedicated to the annual theme of art and ecology. And uh, the seed for this project was really um, my my sense of 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 surprise and, and not being able to fully make sense of of all of those uh, what I described earlier of those nature documentaries and fascinations with like organic and non-organic life on screen that we find in Bauhaus uh, in Bauhaus film screenings. Um, and so I was starting to look more distinctly into these early modes um, of ecological thought at the Bauhaus, um, which have been addressed in, in the work of Oliver Botar and Peter Anker. So there is a body of research that talks about biocentrism at the Bauhaus. But what I was really interested in and what I'm still on the path of developing is really how, how earlier notions of, of ecological thought and organic design, organic architecture, which is again, surprisingly so present at the Bauhaus and again, allows us to rethink what the Bauhaus really is or was <laughs> and can be, um, but how these discourses were really tied to and worked through um, or pushed forward through uh, through moving image media and, and these early um, screenings of, of plant life and animal life and crystals that are morphing and moving. Um, they, they're really a kind of seed of the book, but then I really move into, into uh, several chapters, um, each of which uh, is rooted in like a post-Bauhaus object or media experiment. And uh, just to give you maybe one example, uh, one of my 
favorite examples early on, which I wanted to write into design in motion, but then there was no, no space for it, um, is really a set of uh, stereoscopic slides. So 3D uh, slides uh, that Gropius produced in 1944 um, in collaboration with Louis Sutro, who is um, an engineer, a young engineer desi and designer, uh, from MIT's Instrumentation Laboratory. And these slides capture a kind of visual walk through his own private home uh, in Lincoln, uh, Massachusetts. This is when he, after, right after he moved to the US. Um, so they were trying to capture this house through um, stereoscopic vision. So through a very embodied moving tactile form um, of image. And, and the interesting thing is that the stereographs themselves are, are really filled um, with plant life. They, they show how architecture and garden and architecture environment really grow into one another, which is also something that we don't connect with the Bauhaus, at least not at first glance. And, and this is a moment in the late 30s early 40s, when Gropius begins to write about his concept of, of living architecture, um, which he describes as a kind of corrective term or a kind of counter concept to what he criticizes in his writings as an increasingly inert or frozen or petrified notion of the international style. So Gropius tries to rewrite Bauhaus history in a way, or, or a kind of proliferation of the Bauhaus idea that has become synonymous with um, the international style. And he tries to, to, to propose a different concept, an organic architecture, a living architecture. And I was so fascinated by this um, object, by this, this set of stereoscopic slides, because this is right the way in which he seeks to demonstrate like there is a different mode of thinking about Bauhaus architecture that is embodied, moving, tactile, like living, filled with plant life. And that really brought me back to look through sources in the 20s. And I was struck by the way in which in parallel with these film screenings, we find discussions about like growing houses and cell architectures and space membranes. And, and these terms are always emerging in a way at a time or in tandem with uh, film screenings or at least in adjacent moments. And, and so this is something uh, that I'm really excited to explore more, um, yeah, as a kind of follow-up program a project and it will also yeah be very much dedicated to the work of of Bauhaus women and talk about women and art and ecological thought which is a very very rich uh, field yes absolutely I, I have to say that you know um, when you think about Bauhaus it, it had a, such a short lifespan technically but such an intense period of, of creativity of innovation experimentation it's really fascinating to hear the extent to which those ideas first of all persisted but also are, are sound today current it, they are equally fascinating and relevant today um, so I, I think it's a fascinating way uh, or path of, of, of research and uh, I do hope you'll come back to talk 
to us about your new book uh, well, <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the future. Um, thank you so much for um, our conversation today, Laura. Um, really appreciate it. Um, and uh, all the best with your research. Thank you so much, Eva. This was an amazing conversation. And yeah, thank you so much for having me here.